Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Colossians, chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much for this time and this space to worship together. Pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, O God. You are our rock and our redeemer. You are our refuge and our strength. You are God with us, and we cling to that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as Ian said, we joined Ecclesia a little over a year ago, and there was a group of about 20 to 30 people meeting together in a small meeting room in Pennington, um, and we were dreaming and scheming about who Ecclesia would become. And it has been incredible to be here now at John Witherspoon Middle School, Um, to see that God has been at work in this community, and it's been such a joy for us to be participating in that work. And we just wrapped up a sermon series called A Beautiful Life, and Pastor Ian preached about joy, faith, and hope. And I was thinking about what that would look like in practice. What would it look like for us to live out those things? Um, I can definitely say that those are things that I want my life to be permeated by, that I want my life to be full of joy and faith and hope. Now, when I moved to New Jersey, my life changed. I had just lived in the sunny California, and my California West Coast vibes were in for a rude awakening. (laughs) I came to Princeton Theological Seminary with hopes and dreams, and I thought I was going to become a brilliant scholar and my professors would adore my work. I was going to be focused in my classes, and that was all that I had. Um, New Jersey, for me, was a place full of promise. It was the Garden State, after all. Um, That sounds pretty nice. Well, November rolled around, and New Jersey did not look like the garden state that I had envisioned. It looked a little bit more like a winter wonderland. Um, And I had lived in California, and I was not ready for this. So I had to buy a coat. Um, 
And also, if you know there's a difference between a coat and a jacket, that was something that I learned when I moved here. Um, and I had to put more winter-friendly winter things into my wardrobe um, because I didn't have a coat. And just like putting on a coat, just like filling a wardrobe with things for winter, in Colossians 3, we're told to put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, love, like putting on a coat. <laughs> Another interpretation of this passage says, so chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. That is compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and love. So we put clothes on every day. This is a normal practice for us, at least I hope it is. And we could try to push against the weather, um, but for the most part, we dress for the weather. I will say that experiencing winter here in New Jersey, I will not leave the house without a coat. I have to have a winter wardrobe. And in the same way, we are told to dress in the wardrobe that God has picked out for us. But what exactly is this wardrobe, and what does it mean to dress in it? This text from today um, builds on the idea that Christ's death and resurrection changes us from an old, previous existence into a new, transformed existence. We lay aside our old ways for putting on, to put on this new wardrobe that God has picked out. Another name for this chapter in Colossians is living as those made alive in Christ. The chapter begins by saying, you have been raised with Christ. You have been given this beautiful life. You used to live a life where the climate encouraged, just do what you feel like, whenever you feel like it. But because you have been raised with Christ, because you have been so loved, there is no longer any room in your wardrobe to live out of lies, to live out of fear, irritability, meanness, profanity. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. There is no longer any room in your wardrobe for those things because now we are dressed in a new wardrobe. There's a popular series on Netflix called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. And the show stars best-selling author Marie Kondo, and she is a tidying expert. Yes, that is a job. Um, her goal is to help people clean their lives, to make space for um, peace and inspiration. She wants to help people make room for meaningful objects, for meaningful relationships and experiences. So she comes into people's houses and encourages mindful tidying. You get to keep the items that spark joy, and you get rid of the items that don't. Now, similarly to Marie Kondo, God sweeps through our lives and presents us with a beautiful life, one that sparks joy, faith, and hope. God wants to tidy the things in our lives that we may have left unattended for years our unhealthy defense mechanisms that we've become comfortable living with, 
um, lies, passive aggressiveness, sarcasm, denial, the list could go on. But we've been given this new life because God wants to declutter and clean the mess and replace this mess with God's holiness. You see, the Holy Spirit is in the business of transformation. We are given the fullness of life because Jesus loves us, because we have been raised with Christ. We have been dressed in a new wardrobe because the God of the universe loves us and we have been clothed in his love. When Paul writes the letter of Colossians to the church at Colossae, they are undergoing controversy in their congregation. Their church was questioning what had been accomplished in Christ. They were looking to the philosophers of their time and the philosophers were encouraging specific practices like severe self-denial, like severe treatment of the body, observing holy times, and worship of celestial powers. The philosophers encouraged this because it was a way to gain wisdom, a way to gain access to God. But Paul writes to the church and tells them that they already have full access to God. He tells them that Christ's death and resurrection means liberation and this complete access. They have access because God met them in his faithfulness and in his love. It wasn't because they were doing the right things. No, it was because God brought us the assurance of his grace and love. And because of this access, the church was called to put off an old way of living. It was an old way of living that was according to regulations that promoted self-imposed piety, that, in, that promoted severe treatment of the body, because Paul writes they are of no value and they are only self-serving. Paul urges the church to set their minds on things above because they have been raised with Christ, because they were called to resurrection life, because they were meant to have a beautiful life. So Paul writes to the church in the middle of their differences and their disagreements. He writes as they question which message to believe. You see, they argue over the opinions of different philosophers at their time. And when he writes, Paul has this multidimensional understanding of reconciliation and conflict. He sees it as something that involves both the community and the individual. Now, if you've ever been in community, you've encountered conflict. If you've ever been in a family, you've encountered conflict. If you've ever been in a relationship of any kind, conflict is inevitable. And when Paul writes this letter, he's envisioning a community in action. He sees the messiness and the brokenness and the imperfections of community, and he says, the peace of Christ is at work here. It is the peace of Christ that brings us into reconciliation. And it is this resurrection life that we get to live into this in the midst of conflict. We are brought face to face with conflict because it is not a question of if it will happen, but when it will. And when conflict arises, how do we respond? Do we... Are we honest with each other? 
Do we try to avoid conflict? Truth and love cannot be separated. They go hand in hand. Jesus came to us in the fullness of truth and love. Jesus embraced conflict both truthfully and lovingly because he wanted to bring genuine, deep-rooted peace. Now, when Paul writes about compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience and love, he's usually writing about these characteristics in reference to Christ. He's saying this is who Christ is. And another interpretation of this verse says, let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. Paul writes to the Colossians and tells them to put on who Christ is. In the midst of many messages that can cause controversy and conflict, he urges the Colossians to let the peace of Christ, to let who Christ is, keep them in tune with each other. In the midst of differing opinions and messages, the Colossians are told to put on who Christ is. Now, like the church at Colossae, we have so many messages vying for our attention. Who we should be, what we should wear, what to buy, um, how to succeed. And there are so many things in our society that are telling us who we need to be and that our value is conditional on how we conform to those messages. If you take Times Square, for example, and walk through Times Square and see all of the flashing advertisements, there are a lot of messages that can be found there. Even take your phone for an example. If you just look on your phone, there are tons of messages that we are taking in constantly. So we're taking in all of these messages, and society is telling us about the things that should make up a beautiful life. Social media tells me that I need to post beautiful pictures in order to be loved, in order to be liked. Um, We are saturated with these messages, and we're interpreting them. And simultaneously, we're communicating messages to each other. So say you see someone in a five-piece suit, hair slicked back, maybe someone's wearing a ball gown, um, maybe you're at the Met Gala, I don't know. Um, Please invite me next time. Um, And then imagine someone else standing next to that person wearing torn up clothes, hair unwashed, um, shoes untied. Can you picture it? We're already drawing conclusions about who these people are based on what kind of value society places on them. You see, we often dress ourselves how we want to define ourselves, how we want to express who we are to people, especially based on what society expects of us. So I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Um, My husband, Tom, dresses in such a way to impress. I mean, we all do it to some extent. We have some sort of definition of what it means to be successful or acceptable. We're all doing the best we can with what we can. So Tom won best dressed in junior high. (laughs) And he constantly reminds me about it by the way he cares about what he wears in public. 
even though I know he wears sweatpants and old t-shirts at home. There's this idea that we want to present ourselves a certain way. Our clothing makes a statement and we often define our worth by what we're wearing. Our jobs make a statement and we define ourselves by what we're doing. Maybe we present ourselves by staying up to date with the latest gadgets, um, what we have, our hobbies, what we buy, the people we associate with, the events we attend, the causes we support. We want to present ourselves a certain way. And we use these presentations, presentations to categorize as professional or unprofessional, as rich or poor, as cool or not cool, on social media, we can present however we want. We can curate specific presentations of self online. We wear what we want society to think of us and what we think society expects of us. This is an image of how we group ourselves. Again, with the cool or not cool, we have in and out groups, us and them mentality. Even the ways in which we dress could cause conflict. Paul writes to the Colossians in the midst of their conflict, in the midst of the time when they're taking in so many messages. And he shares the gospel message. He says, from now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. And what's mind-boggling about the gospel is that Jesus offers us the best thing, something that transcends our outward appearance, something that transcends our presentation. Jesus sees us through the lens of love. Jesus calls us loved and defines us by his love. Jesus teaches us to see in this way as well. We put Christ on every day. It's this new wardrobe that we've been given. It's this new way of living. In a culture that tells us more, 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 to have more, to do more, to be more, to have success, more knowledge, more love, more beauty, more truth, more goodness. In this culture, Jesus says, I love you. You already have everything you need. We have been outfitted in this resurrection life, and the Holy Spirit transforms us to live in this truth and in this love because we have been clothed in his righteousness. It's not always easy to remember this. I mean, we remember to put clothes on every day, but it's this daily putting on of Christ to look to Christ and to remember that he loves us. It's a message that we've heard often in the church. Jesus loves you. But maybe it's a message that gets lost amidst the many messages that we're receiving every day. Jesus loves you. What would it look like if we were to let those words ring true? What would it look like if we were to wear these words and present ourselves through them? We weren't meant to do this alone. It is the peace of Christ that brings us together in community. 
And this is Paul's multidimensional view of reconciliation and conflict. He sees it as something that involves both the community and the individual. We need community. We need the body of Christ. We need to be reminded constantly of who we are and whose we are. When we put on this new way of living with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and love, we are putting on who Christ is. We are putting on resurrection life, this beautiful life. What would that look like here today? What would it look like to be compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, and patient? What would it look like to be loving? It's not easy. Now, if you think about Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is coming up, exciting time, and think about the Thanksgiving table. And when you think about the Thanksgiving table, there are so many layers of experiences and perspectives that come together. The possibility, the potential for disagreement and conflict can arise when you bring different people together. And yet it is the peace of Christ that brings us into unity. It is because Christ forgave that we are also able to forgive. It is because Christ loved us first that we are also able to love. We learn from who Jesus is. We learn that Jesus is compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient. Jesus loves us. And Jesus shared the table with so many different people. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus shares meals with people from different backgrounds, people who were often outcast and marginalized from society. And Jesus is saying, we still come to the table. We join with different political views, different philosophical views, different work experience, different cultures, ages, and abilities, and Jesus has named it beautiful. We come in our brokenness, our messiness, our pain, and imperfections, and Jesus calls us beloved. Today, resurrection life means that Christ sets the table. It is not based on my compassion, my kindness, humility, gentleness, or patience. It is based on Christ. It is founded on the fact that this is who Christ is that he loves us and he has clothed us in his love. We are invited because he loves us. And when the gospel narrative gets rooted in community, the peace of Christ brings us and our differences together. In a world where we're being told so many different messages, the gospel narrative comes to us in the way that Jesus says, I love you. This is how much God loved the world, that he gave his son, his one and only son. The good news is that God has chosen us and loves us. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you renew us and you sustain us. We thank you for the cross and that you meet us here. We thank you that you meet us every day. We thank you that you draw us into communion with you and each other. 
we celebrate this. God, empower us to live by your love. Empower us to live by your truth. We thank you and we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.